Okay, welcome back to our number two of Operation Scorpio. And in this hour, it is my pleasure to bring on Dr. E. Michael Jones. Here I am. been on the forefront of the culture war for decades now. And um, just uh, a true warrior in this struggle and a, a man of brilliance, I would have to say. Uh, uh, e. Michael Jones, how are you, sir? Thank you. Thank for you. On. Thank you for that kind introduction. Oh, absolutely. It's you know I've been, been a fan of your work for years. I have three or four of your books. Um, just colossal um, tomes of information. Um, I really have enjoyed uh, Baron Metal and the Jewish Revolutionary Spirit in particular. But you know, I, I'd like to um, sort of jump into this since you're on the forefront of the culture where we are, we're in what gay pride month, or I don't know what they call it rainbow month. And it's just an inundation of all things gay and essentially an attack on um, really heterosexuality and all things normal. Uh, you know, and just for an example, you know, I made the mistake of turning on the one eye rabbi last night for a few minutes <laughs> on the road. And, and they they had uh, one of this, this ad for one of these shows where they were essentially just rewriting history. Everybody was gay. You just didn't know it. Uh, you know, just, uh, you know, just going essentially rewriting history. And, and the opening of this show, they had this, you know, this older woman with, you know, kind of partly gray hair carrying a, you know, a rainbow flag holding hands with a little girl. And you can say, oh, that's her daughter. But, of course, there's another way to look at it, which is we're coming after your kids. We want your children. We're going to convert them, whether you like it or not. Deal with it. So wh where do you think this all goes, uh, Michael? I mean, this this culture where and, – and it's one thing to tolerate. Yes, there's always been gay people, and, hey, that's okay. Nothing we can do about it. But wh where does this take us in this, in this race towards absolute degeneracy? Yeah, well, it takes us to the brink of uh, the abyss. Uh, which is where we are, where we are right now. Uh, and uh, I, I just uh, wrote an article. I got into a debate with a guy named Greg Johnson, uh, who claims to be a white boy. But when you listen to him, he's trying to broaden the white boy movement to include homosexuals. So I suspect that's where his real allegiance lies. Uh, and I wrote an article on it and I said, are the white boys willing to die for the gay disco? And I was referring specifically to the Ukraine, the war in the Ukraine, and the fact that he was championing the, the Nazis. I think that's what he liked them because they, they claimed the white boys on steroids. Uh, he was championing them. And I, I said, basically, well, are you going? Did you buy your ticket yet? Are, are you ready to die for the gay disco? Uh, why, why did I say that? Why did I say that? Because I was in Berlin a few years before this is the first time I had Berlin. I was in Berlin for years, about three decades, actually, four decades, actually, because I was in Berlin in the uh, 1975 when there was a wall there and the commies were on the other side of the wall. And this time I'm in Berlin and it's completely different. There's no wall, new buildings all over the place. And I've, I'm on a bicycle with a, fr a friend of mine. We're both cycling through uh, Berlin and I come to the uh, American embassy. And there's a bear, which is the symbol of Berlin, and the bear is wearing a rainbow banner. <laughs> wow. 
What, no, this is the official representation, uh, uh, official uh, place of the United States government in Berlin. And there's the bear wearing rainbow banner. And next to it, there's a, a description, which is basically we are commemorating the death of all of those homosexuals at the disco in Orlando. Remember that? Remember the whatever the name of the disco was? Uh, so here you got the United States government officially endorsing the gay disco. And now we have a battle in Iran, uh, in Iran uh, sorry, I keep confusing the battlefields, in Ukraine, uh, where the United States is now uh, defending a gay disco militarily. So uh, that's where we're going. That's where the gay disco brought, it has brought us to the brink of nuclear war. Okay, that's where it's brought us. Uh, and that's why we're in trouble. Well, there's no price too great to pay for that, uh, to defend uh, sodomy. There's no price too high, even nuclear war. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so it, it seems to me also, too, this is an attack on really, you know, all this transgenderism stuff essentially is an attack on women saying, hey, some guy that takes female hormones and puts on makeup and a dress, that's as good as a woman. And it, it seems to me it's just an attack on, on the creator and creation as well. Uh, we can decide what gender you are. You have the power. You are like gods. You know, it, it seems it's such That's a rebellion right. against the creation. And I, I just don't see it ending well, Michael. <laughs> no, no, it's not going to end well. Uh, but you're right. You're absolutely right. And so the you could say that the homosexual movement was a transitional moment uh, from sexual liberation as traditionally defined as heterosexual liberation from the institution of marriage and Christian morality uh, up to homosexuality and then on to transgenderism, which is basically an attack on being. Uh, the homosexual movement is an attack on being in terms of uh, gender as being part of being, uh, saying that there's no connection between sexuality and procreation. And then it, you you can actually change your body. And so when you see this uh, fat Jew from Pennsylvania show up wearing a dress, you're supposed to think he's a woman. Uh, although he doesn't look, I mean, it just doesn't drive me wild with desire. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, but you're supposed to pretend that he's a woman. And this is the type of uh, air of unreality that this whole thing has taken. But you, you, it, it was part of the... Uh, the revolutionary subversion of American culture. Uh, and the Jews were in the forefront of this, promoting pornography, uh, sexual liberation, abortion, another crucial factor in this, which also has become to the fore. Uh, you may have noticed that a totally new argument has emerged in the abortion issue. After that uh, brief was leaked by Alito, the Jews come forward and say, uh, abortion is a fundamental Jewish value. And if you ban abortion, you will prevent Jews from practicing their religion. Right. Well, I, I never heard, we had this for 50 years. Uh, what, we're real, what they're really saying is, with Roe versus Wade, the Jews imposed their religion on the entire population of the United States of America. That's really the way you have to understand, they interpret what, what they're saying now. And that means, of course, uh, that when it goes to the states now, they have provided a good argument against abortion by saying, wait a minute, it's, it's a Jewish sacrament. You can't impose their religion on me. I'm not Jewish. I posted that uh, on my media outlets, and 
I said, abortion is a Jewish sacrament. And everybody got upset. Uh, the Jews get upset. They start yelling at me. And I said, wait a minute. Your argument isn't with me. It's with the ADL. The ADL said that. I'll, for once, I agree with the ADL. It is a fundamental Jewish value. And you're wrong, and they're right. But, but homosexuality was part of that. And the Jews played a crucial role in the mainstream of homosexuality through the American Psychological Association. Uh, well, it's when, funny, if the ADL says it, it's not anti-Semitic. If you say it is, and if we somehow stop abortion, it's gonna to lead to another Holocaust. That's what I'm getting from this. Uh, Giuseppe, uh, go ahead, sir. Well, Dr. Jones, it's a true honor to have you back on the show. I'm a tremendous admirer of your impressive body of work. and uh, But I am stunned. I am shocked that you did not dye your hair rainbow for this month. I just said, well, it's early in the month. so <laughs> There you go. You still have time. I still have time. Well, the my question, of course, joking, my question to you, good sir, is how is it that the great silent majority of Christians, Catholics, you know, a massive majority because homosexuals are maybe three to 5% of the population and 5% might be generous. Why is it that uh, the traditional heterosexual individual and married, hopefully, as an adult, doesn't really push back hard for the, the, the metastasization, the cancer that's eating away at traditional society in favor of the, what I consider to be fringe groups. You know, the, the radical Jew is a very fringe group. The homo, radical homosexual, very fringe. They don't, they're not great in numbers, but why is it that we tolerate the great economic power of the globalists to make this seem like this should be a mainstream issue? To me, it's not a mainstream issue, but it's being rammed down our throats. And when is the silent majority gonna wake up and, and say enough is enough? Well, there's a very simple answer to your question of how it ended up this way. I'll give you a one-word answer. It's called science. You've heard of science, haven't I you? I have, yeah. Yeah, well, we've all heard of science, and I'm talking about a particular scientist, quote-unquote, and his name was Alfred Kinsey, and he was the author of uh, two influential books. Uh, in the One was in 48 and one was in 53. The first was the most influential, and that was the human sexuality or sexuality in the human male, something like that. They came to be known as the Kinsey reports. This was, uh, it was sponsored by the Rockefellers. The Rockefellers were interested in population control. And one of the ways to promote population control was to, or, or the lower the population, lower the birth rate. We're talking about here at the beginning of the baby boom. Right. Uh, where they're really upset. They're really worried because they see the Catholics taking over the world and they're all having too many children. So what are we going to do? So we bring in science and Kinsey basically tells us that uh, anything that happens is normal. And uh, there are a lot more homosexuals than you think. Well, why did he say that? Well, first of all, because he was a homosexual. Okay. That kept, that was kept secret. That was deliberately kept secret. He was put on the cover of Time magazine with a bow tie and a crew cut uh, with birds and bees flying around it. And he was described as an Eagle Scout. No, he was, he was a homosexual. He was getting Rockefeller money. And the thing he enjoyed most was going to gay bars and talking to fellow homosexuals about what they just did in the men's room. 
that became, that was baptized as science. And it destabilized the whole moral order because why are you talking about morals here? It's got nothing to do with this. This is a scientist who is just examining human behavior, giving you a completely objective account of human behavior. And it turns out it's a lot different than you think. Well, first of all, it's not objective at all. He had an ax to grind. Uh, and secondly, it was paid for by the Rockefellers and they had their own ulterior motives. That's how the thing got started. That's a, that was the beginning of the legitimization of homosexuality. Now, I'll give you a specific instance, which I've talked about in Culture Wars uh, magazine articles there. It's also in uh, Logos Rising, a chapter in there. And basically what happened in Germany was really important because that was the German, the conquered German people received the full brunt of American social engineering during precisely this period, the precisely this period. And what happened during the 1950s is that all of these magazines, this is the cutting edge of uh, information technology at this point, it's the Illustrated Magazine. Over here, the Illustrated Magazine was known as uh, obviously life, but then uh, right at the time the CIA gets involved, we have Playboy. Uh, and Hugh Hefner said he was inspired by Kinsey to start Playboy. Okay, that's nice to know, but the real damage was done in Germany, where all of these illustrated magazines, they all have very strict guidelines about what pictures they're allowed to show and so on and so forth. And suddenly, because of the Kinsey report, they can put all sorts of pictures of naked women in their magazines and get away with it. And this became the thin end of the wedge in Germany. The Germans tried to put up some type of resistance, but Kinsey was the, uh, uh, the foot in the door. And eventually it led to the entire collapse of obscenity laws and the flooding of Germany with pornography. I was there at the high point of this, which is in the 70s when suddenly it was filmed now as the cutting edge, all these pornographic films, uh, softcore porn till, you know, till getting gradually. And a lot of them were named report, uh, like Der Schulmädchen report. There were 13 of those films about getting, getting young girls to take off their clothes. Report is not a German word. It's the Kinsey report. That's where they got the idea. And that's where this whole, this was the, the thin end of the wedge. This was how the ball started rolling to legitimize homosexuality. Interesting. Uh, and it, it, it's interesting how both abortion and the homosexual agenda uh, sort of dovetails into population control I mean, lowering the population because, you know, Homosexuals can't have children, although they can try. They actually can't do it, no matter how many times they try. And one other thing that I understand about Kinsey is that he actually attempted to sort of legitimize um, pedophilia a little bit. I mean, that was one of his other side interests, wasn't it? Well, there is that uh, whole chapter. The late Judith Reisman exposes. I don't know. Everybody must have been asleep at the switch for about took about twenty years, where there are these. Uh, 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 charts there of the sexual stimulation of children uh, leading right. to convulsions in some of the children. And she says, whoa, wait a minute. Didn't, this, didn't you break the law by doing this? What is the source <laughs> of this thing? Well, everybody was embarrassed. All the Kinsey people were embarrassed and they tried to cover it up. But yeah, it was pedophilia and it was part of the, of the uh, mix 
that they use to basically delegitimize sexual norms. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Giuseppe, why don't you jump in, man? Go ahead. Well, um, that is, that is, uh, I love how your mind works, Dr. Jones. Again, I'm a huge admirer of your body of work. And so it seems like the, it's the classic uh, scenario we're living in, which is the burning, uh, I mean, the boiling frog. If, if you put a li- living frog in the boiling water, it will immediately jump out to save its life. If you put the frog in lukewarm water on a slow boil, it will just sit there and die eventually because it's, it's gradually uh, murdered. And such is the case in my mind of what is now going on with this grooming of young children by these mentally unstable uh, uh, liberal slash globalist woke teachers, these young people, a lot of them are just, you know, white and should be protecting the traditions of their, their ancestors and their family. But instead they're literally grooming these kids. And this is coming out again and again in stories where these teachers, kindergarten, first, second grade, they're like, Oh, uh, I'm creating a, and, and these, they're, 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 they're bragging about it on the, TikTok videos and such where I'm creating a safe space and their parents don't know. But, you know, if little little Julie or Johnny wants to come as a second grader and and then cross dress. Well, that is that is mental indoctrination. That is a little child like that doesn't know anything other than this influencer, this mentor, this teacher who should be teaching them correct things is, is swaying them to this satanic evil. I mean, I am so offended by this wanton grooming of children. I mean, I cannot believe parents accept this and, and many do what your thoughts. Yeah, you're right. It took place gradually. So uh, there's a uh, so you go from Kinsey scientific studies to uh, drag queen story hour. Whoa, well that's a big jump, isn't it? Well, there there it only happened because there were several intermediary stages there, and one of the most important was the uh, legitimization of contraception. And why is that important? Well, because you just separated procreation from sexuality. You're saying that procreation is an optional part of sexuality. Well, if that's the case, then you just legitimized homosexuality, didn't you? Because that type of sex is sterile, okay? And sterile sex is okay. And that was that was the, the, the slope, the slippery slope. And it was... Uh, I, 1968 was it? First of all, 1964. Time magazine called it the year of the pill. Uh, oh, guess who was behind that? It was the Rockefellers who spent money on the birth control pill because that's going to lower the population. They're beating the drum for population control. There are too many people on this earth. And then 1968, the Catholic Church finally uh, deals with the issue. It's obviously you can't. Uh, avoid this issue anymore. And they issue humane vitae, which says, no, you can't separate the procreative and the unitive acts, uh, uh, aspects of sexuality. They're intrinsic to the act. And if you do it, bad consequences will follow. And one of the bad consequences the Pope mentioned was homosexuality. So they opened the door, the, the, the overwhelming majority opened the door to homosexuality because they wanted something out of this deal, too. They wanted sex without consequences, and, and they got it. 
and I think that we're learning to live to regret that now. Absolutely. Um, well, you know, I've maybe I don't know if you agree with this, but I, I've kind of come to the conclusion that uh, I don't think the public schools can be reformed at this time. I think that we're going to have to start creating, uh, you know, um, parallel systems for ourselves. I, I don't think we can rely on these systems that are funded by essentially big Jew money uh, with an agenda and they're all weaponized. I don't think they're going to reform from within. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, do well, you think for, it's reformable? For, uh, first of all, the Catholic Church uh, never trusted public schools. Never. They always oh. had their own parallel school system. Right. I attended that parallel school system in Philadelphia until I went to graduate school. Okay? But if you're asking me whether it's reformable, what about what happened in Virginia? I don't know. Uh, so Virginia suddenly have parents showing up at PTA meetings and the mother says, I'm shocked at what uh, my, my child is reading in school. And then she starts to read it and the head of the school board says, you can't read that. It's obscene. Well, wait a minute. If it's obscene, why, why is my kid reading it? And at that point, uh, the the stupid uh, incumbent governor of Virginia, the Democrat, jumped in and said, parents should have no say about what goes on in schools. And at that point, the Republicans got that video, they captured the video, they played it over and over again, and that guy was toast when they brought in a Republican. Now, that was a change. Uh, that's significant. I don't think we could ignore that. Now, whether that leads to any type of substantial reform movement uh, throughout the rest of the United States, I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball, but it's a beginning. I, I mean, I, I have no great investment in the public school system. I have no great investment in any of these things. But if you're asking about reform, I think that's what happened in Virginia. Yeah, interesting point. Uh, and, you know, I think I'm the youngest of the three uh, of us here. And I remember when I went to public school system, I, I didn't even know the name of my, the first name of my teachers. You know, you, they were Mr. or, or Mrs so-and-so you didn't know their first name even now these teachers seem to think that they have to um tell the intimate details of their personal lives to their students or else somehow they're being repressed and uh, we're not giving our children the full spectrum of knowledge they need to have uh, so i i just think we've entered into this sort of narcissistic age where um greatly due in part to social media that people feel the need to uh, you know, give the intimate details of their sexual lives to their students, which I, I think is just reprehensible. I don't think that should be, that has any role in school, public, private, or whatever. No, you're talking about social engineering. Now, I would wager, I would posit the fact that uh, public education has always been a form of social engineering in the United States of America. The only thing that has changed is the demands of the social engineers. So at the beginning, if you're talking about somebody like Horace Mann, there was a kind of propriety that American culture had that led him to not really uh, do anything that was be, would be too offensive. But the goal of public education was always Americanization, specifically Americanization of immigrants, new immigrants coming over here, uh, teach them what America was about. This is what John Dewey was about. And it uh, automatically led to the subversion of uh, ethnic identity. I, I mean, I, I cover this in, in uh, my book, uh, Libido Dominandi, Sexual Liberation and Political Control. The, uh, 
John Dewey had these seminars in, uh, he was at Columbia at this point, and one of his students was uh, Paul Blanchard, and Paul and Bran Blanchard, both were, uh, his brother, where they were both in Dewey's class. And uh, there was also uh, Albert, Albert, Alfred, Albert Barnes from Philadelphia, he made a ton of money uh, with medicine. And anyway, so they get together and basically the idea is, uh, I know, we'll send the Blanchard brothers to Bridesburg, which is the Polish neighborhood in Philadelphia, and we'll Americanize them. Well, it didn't work. It didn't work. But that was, I, I'm telling you, this was the project from the beginning to Americanize. Well, the only thing that's changed over this period of time is what America means. And I'm saying now, I gave you the proof already, America is a gay disco. And if you don't like it, you're un-American. And we're going to find some way to, to to hurt you because you're not going along with the program. That's that's what's happened over this period of time. The progressive undermining of morality as a form of control. That's what it's about. Absolutely. We're progressing towards what? Well, we're progressing towards cultural Marxism and communism, or, or at least a modernized version of the two. Uh, Giuseppe, go ahead, sir. Uh, Dr. Jones, I'm curious. I mean, you've uh, you've made your your impressive uh, legacy based on the idea of culture wars, but in my mind, the last decade or so, it's become more of a spiritual war because literally traditionalists appear to be playing for Team God, and this uh, this woke uh, I don't even know what you call this the freak show, but they appear to be the starting uh, five for Team Satan. And, and, you know, what is so tragic in my mind is that uh, the public indoctrination, the cultural indoctrination, it's all about keeping uh, Americans, especially at a permanent prepubescent level of low impulse, uh, uh, spiritually immature, intellectually immature, emotionally immature, uh, uh, just lacking common. Yeah, docile. Docile. And, and yet it, it – it, and, and, what happened? I mean, and and this ties to your earlier brilliant statement that the globalists got worried that the Catholics had too much power. And it seems to me much like the um, that famous letter that was uh, released by the Rothschilds of uh, I think it was like the uh, 13th or 14th century when the, the uh, Jews were getting kicked out of Spain and the head rabbi of uh, the Sanhedrin wrote a letter back saying, uh, well, you know, if you have to convert do it to save yourself. But, you know, if have your children become uh, pharmacists and doctors and kill the Christians and uh, get, get into government so you can gradually take control. And to me, that's exactly what's happened in the Catholic Church. I guess this is a multi-part question. Part one is, do you see this now as a spiritual war, not a cultural war? And part two, what what is it going to take to get a, a, a Satanist like uh, the fake Pope Bergoglio out and someone who would deserve to be Pope like Vagano in? Um, first of all, culture wars and spiritual wars are not mutually exclusive okay. because because everything uh, ultimately is, is a spiritual battle. OK, uh, so I, I I think that the you're right, though, the main the main point here is from a uh, so yeah you're they're working for satan you could call that group of people the synagogue of satan which is what uh, saint john did in the apocalypse but what what are they interested in they're interested in control it's the opposite you know the christian is taught to love his neighbor 
the the anti-Christian is told to dominate his neighbor uh, for his own benefit. Uh, that's that's the difference. So it's just ultimately a spiritual difference, okay? But just in terms of docility, this this the sexual angle is one aspect of it, but there's another angle too. Uh, ver every bit is powerful, uh, and that's drugs. The same group of people is promoting sexual liberation is also promoting the legalization of marijuana, for example, and just in the state of Michigan. There, I, I'm, I'm involved in an article on this uh, right now. I just went up to the Hemp Fest in Vandalia, Michigan, uh, as part of the story. It's the 20 something anniversary of a, of a standoff with the FBI where the guy owned the farm who happened to also be a homosexual. He was like Mr. Libertarian. He was a homosexual. He was for marijuana legalization. And he was also a gun guy at the end and was carrying a gun around his property. The FBI came on. They claim he lowered the gun to shoot them, but we'll never know because dead men tell no tales. So uh -huh. he ends up dead. Uh, but now you've got a situation where it's legal in the state of Michigan to smoke dope, to smoke marijuana. So I go up there and I'm walking around, everybody's smoking dope and I'm getting high. <laughs> I'm high by the time I leave there just by breathing the air. Now, is this going to lead to a productive society? What, is, what does Michigan stand for? What is the capital? Uh, what is the most important city in Michigan? It's Detroit. Detroit was the manufacturing center of the United States of America. It was also the center of America first. Uh, Henry Ford was uh, the head of the Ford Motor Company and one of the great voices for America First. Father Coughlin was from uh, Michigan. <laughs> Lindbergh, Charles Lindbergh grew up in Michigan. And now what do you have? They had the highest paid workforce in the world at a certain point. They were the most productive uh, city in the world at a certain point. And now, well, what do you have? You have these people in the woods smoking dope completely docile they think they're free because they're all addicted to this uh, substance this this is the, the the net result of this war on the american people and now the governor <laughs> the lady governor is waging war on her own people and we just had so so you got the fbi involved uh, at that standoff 22 years ago it was the FBI that shot the guy. Now the FBI is going is part of the government operation to basically uh, railroad the citizens of Michigan. And I'm talking about that phony kidnapping plot where uh, the FBI is working with the governor, with the Jewish lesbian, who's the attorney general, and they're entrapping these citizens making it up uh the only people who were providing any serious weaponry or anything like that were fbi agents so this this is the type of thing you know you go slowly and slowly and the thing that leads you as the frog to stay in there is the thought that you're free like i'm free because i can have sex in the men's room and smoke dope well wait a minute no that's not right where did you get that idea well, yeah, I believe that the FBI has been a deeply corrupt institution since its inception. Uh, you know, the the uh, the first head of it was probably, in all likelihood, a closeted homosexual. Right. He had his his uh, his friend Clive uh, uh, Tolson, Tolan. who lived next door to him his whole life. Uh, <laughs> yeah, his friend though, 
so uh, you can only imagine the kind of um, blackmail potential that right. Has. That's an that's an important point because that's exactly what J. Edgar Hoover and Kinsey had in common. They were both blackmailers. And Kinsey met his match in J. Edgar Hoover. Hoover showed up at the Kinsey Institute and basically said, uh, we'd like to see your files. And Kinsey said, oh, no, never, never, I promise. And they said, okay, well, uh, you apparently also broke the law and we're going to take you to, oh, wait, okay, second thought. So he ends up, the bigger blackmailer takes over the, the smaller blackmailer. It's just like big fish eat little fish. But then, wait a minute, there's an even bigger blackmailer than J. Edgar Hoover, and guess who that is? The ADL, yeah. the Anti-Defamation League, who had pictures of J. Edgar Hoover in his pink nightie. <laughs> yeah, so you have course- this, this, this rotten system getting worse and worse and worse, sucking more and more people into a state of basically virtual slavery which is how where Michigan stands right now. Those poor, those poor bastards in the woods in southwestern Michigan who can smoke dope all they want and think they're free. Yeah, yeah, it's really crazy. Um, you know, I'm here in L.A. and people smoke dope everywhere now. Like there's a dispensary on every corner. And, of course, the government is, is becoming the w- largest drug dealer in the world. Well, it already was through the CIA, but now they're taxing – you know, marijuana, 25, 30%, depending on the state. I see people smoking it literally everywhere. Uh, sometimes I'll be on the freeway and I'll smell weed coming into my car just because right. the guy in front of me is blazing up, you know, a doobie or whatever in front, uh, you know, and it's just going through the filter of the car. So um, it, it's really uh, amazing. You just see people smoking it everywhere now. There's no shame any longer, you know, no. just smoke it wherever you want, have all you want. Uh, no, and- the the other important thing is here that this is not your father's marijuana. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I remember the first exposure I had to marijuana in the '60s, and uh, they could they could sell you a bag of oregano, and you would think it was marijuana <laughs> because it was leaves. Well, I'll tell you, there was not a leaf in sight at the hemp fest. It was all buds. It's all the bud of the power, and this stuff is really powerful. This is much more powerful than anything. The guy who uh, wrote the book, I think his name was Burrison, wrote a book on marijuana. He said it's like comparing near beer to a martini. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it's like. So you you remember drinking near beer in the 60s? Well, now you're drinking, they're all drinking martinis. And you think that's not going to affect these people? Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And it's interesting, you know, that I, I like you brought up the uh, the uh, the great conspiracy in, in Michigan. And of course, the reason supposed reason for these guys wanting to get the governor was they didn't like her covid policy. So it, it was this idea that, well, people who are against the, the covid absurdities and the lockdowns and all this essentially overreach of government, they're potential terrorists. That's sort of the message that was being broadcast. Well, no, they, they went to these uh, uh uh, demonstrations to recruit. That's what the FBI did. So there was a, a, a real serious demonstration on the steps of the Capitol in Lansing, Michigan, uh, where the guys, you know, are standing there with guns and suddenly they're inside the Capitol. What does that remind you of? Does that remind you of anything? This was a dress rehearsal for the January 6th thing. The FBI, right. the head of the FBI in Michigan, who orchestrated this phony ass. Uh, Gretchen Whitmer kidnapping plot 
got brought to Washington three months before the inauguration because he was so successful. At least they see it seemed that way back then. So you're talking about the same type of thing, which is brings me to this idea of uh, this toxic combination in Western Michigan. The reason Tom Crossland's dead. Uh, this is a man who started off being a hippie and talking about peace and love. And then he invites the Michigan militia up there and they show up with guns. And suddenly you got this bad combination, bad combination, drugs and guns. <laughs> That's a bad combination. And so what happened here is that Tom, uh, I know this comes as a shock to you, but you start making bad judgments when you're smoking dope 24 hours a day. Yeah. And on top of that, he's taken Prozac and, and, and he started to feel paranoid. Uh, well, you've got reason. You're surrounded by cops here because you're defying the governments. And so what happens here is that uh, the, we're, we're not that far south bend. So the WNDU sends his helicopter up there and Tom is full of paranoia, takes his automatic rifle and starts firing at the helicopter, actually hits the helicopter. Well, that's a federal crime that brings the FBI in and the rest is history. Okay. It's over at this point. So all I'm telling my, my, my good uh, libertarian friends in Western Michigan is be careful what you pray for. You know, this was supposed <laughs> to be heaven on earth and you ended up dead. That's not a good outcome. It was this toxic, comp uh, the, the main problem in Western Michigan is libertarianism because there's no sense of any type of moral limit in this thing. Every, everyone should be free to do whatever they want. And what bad consequences could come from smoking dope and having sex and homosexual sex in the woods and carrying guns around? What could go wrong? <laughs> yeah, what could possibly go wrong? And libertarianism is really sort of kind of cooked up by Jewish philosophers you're absolutely uh, right you're absolutely yeah. right that is exactly what it is and you have people like murray rothbart uh basically telling the world that we should put no limits on rich people that's what it comes down to let's put right. no moral rich uh moral limitations on anything you do and the problem here is that you're you this poor schmuck in the woods in western michigan you don't have much power to do anything but the people who are in charge well they do and it turns out, oh, wait a minute, they're the people who are promoting uh, legalization of marijuana. George Soros, directly involved in Michigan, and Peter Lewis, the guy who's the head of a corporation I can't remember. I think it's an insurance corporation, another Jew who smokes dope. Uh, he's also behind it. There you have it. Okay. There you go. There you go. Well, uh, I want to hand things back over to Giuseppe, but I, I want to shift gears here first, just briefly. And I want to get your take on, um, you know, we had the Davos meeting uh, on Mount Olympus. I mean, you know, uh, of these, the, the great uh, gods of, of corporations who have come together to decide the fate of the little people. And then immediately afterwards, we have the uh, Bilderberg meeting going on in Washington, D.C. that's actually occurring as we speak. And then sandwiched in the middle was this uh, shooting in Uvalde that, of course, the media and, of course, the great unwashed are supposed to be focused on. Um, but maybe you can just give me your, your, your thoughts on these two events or these three things being essentially sandwiched together. And what, what, what do you, what's your take on Davos, the World Economic Forum, and then the Bilderberg meetings? 
Well, first of all, something very significant happened at Davos, and that was the uh, appearance of Henry Kissinger. And Henry Kissinger, I don't know if you knew this, but basically gave a speech in which he said, look, this is crazy. This Ukraine thing is crazy. We have to have a negotiated settlement. And basically what's going to have to happen is that we're going to have to hand the Donbass over to the Russians. Now, this is finally an adult. I'm a, an adult finally shows up in the room. Uh, this is the man who understood the balance of power. He was uh, orchestrated uh, the opening to China under uh, Nixon, uh, which was smart. I, I don't agree with the McKinder thesis. I'm a, I'm a foe of American imperialism. But if you're going to do it, you have to divide the Eurasian landmass. And the way you divide the Eurasian landmass is playing China off against Russia, which is precisely what they did. Okay, so he's a man who understands some type of uh, political, geopolitical reality. And now he's saying basically, look, Look, it's time to stop pretending here. Zelensky is not Winston Churchill. I know that comes as a shock to you, <laughs> uh, but he's not. Uh, this is not going well. We're just going to have to accept the partition of the Ukraine. That is a significant event. The New York Times immediately chimed in uh, in support of him. This is the oligarchs basically admitting this is this is not going to work. And you're you're threatening uh, World War Three, and I think that's that's what's going to happen. I think that the Kissinger wing, or whatever you want to call it, the realists are going to prevail, and I think that they're going to wind down the war in Ukraine. Is going to end up with a partition. It's that simple. And what's your take on the Bilderberg? meeting happening right after, and then of course the Uvalde. Shooting. Well, I look first of all, it may be we may. I can only tell you about what I know. I know abs with absolute certainty that the FBI was involved in the state of Michigan uh, with entrapment operations. It wasn't just the cat kidnapping plot. It was the uh, the hootery, okay, which happened years ago. Nobody knows about that, but it was uh, three guys from a trailer park who had one twenty-two rifle and three bullets until the FBI shows up. And now you got nine guys in a trailer park with automatic weapons and explosives. And that court trial took about five minutes uh, and it was thrown out as entrapment. And nobody talks about it because of that. Okay. So that's, uh, uh, it may be that these shooter things are the same thing. It may very well be because the FBI is in, in the business of creating terrorist incidents. And it may be that they locate these guys, these troubled young people on the Internet, and they start egging them on because there's political benefit. The same, politi same political party, the Democrats, who benefited from the, the uh, Gretchen Whitmer plot also benefit whenever uh, uh, school children are murdered because it's a, an immediate call for gun control. So it may very well be. I can't, I don't. I can't prove it. I don't know. But I suspect that uh, they they could be behind it. Yeah, yeah. That's certainly a plausible thesis. Giuseppe, jump in, sir. Well, Scorpio and Dr. Jones, I'm delighted to report that one of the shining lights of the independent media, Robert Ravolt of Incendiary Radio, is listening, and he uh, sent a question for Dr. Jones. Asked Dr. Jones what happened with the Society of Jesus and what he thinks their long game is with Jewry. Okay, 
Good question. Good question, because basically the Jesuits have taken over the Catholic Church. The Pope is a Jesuit. You, you knew that. Okay, so if you're asking me what happened, there is a three-word answer to this question, and it's John Courtney Murray. Famous Jesuit. If you didn't know this, uh, he was on the cover of Time magazine in 1960. A crucial moment. What was so important about 1960? Well, John F. Kennedy was just elected president. And now the Jesuit uh, is going to basically take control of uh, the Catholic political movement that put Kennedy in the White House and set the new rules set the new rules for Catholic behavior. So you've been accepted at the table. You were a despised, I'm talking about the Catholics now, you Catholics were a despised minority. Now you have a place at the table and you damn well better behave yourselves. And that means, he said this explicitly in the Time Magazine article, no boycotts, no boycotts. He's referring to the Legion of Decency and the boycott that basically imposed the Hollywood production code on the Jews in Hollywood. That, you're not allowed to do that anymore. John Courtney Murray is the crucial link between the CIA, he was working with the CIA uh, through Time Magazine. Uh, the crucial figure connecting the CIA and Time Magazine was C.D. Jackson. He was uh, Henry Luce's right-hand man. Time Magazine, at this point, was the propaganda ministry for the uh, for the deep state in America, for the CIA. And uh, they had at this point, they were in the process of basically taking over uh, the church's attempt to reform itself, namely Vatican II. And John Courtney Murray was a crucial agent in the subversion of Vatican II crucial agent, right along with Malachi Martin. I've talked about this in the Jewish revolutionary spirit in detail. Uh, the CIA immediately got involved. The Jewish agencies immediately got involved in subverting the Second Vatican Council. The crucial, the crucial intellectual vehicle that connects John Courtney Murray to the Jesuits today, I'm talking about the editorial board at America Magazine, James Martin, the homosexual advocate, is Americanism. And it's just what I said to you before about the public schools. The public schools were a vehicle of Americanization. The Jesuits are a vehicle of Americanization for the Catholic population. And the only thing that has changed is America. So when John Courtney Murray got on board in the 50s, it was the, the uh, C.D. Jackson, the CIA were involved in the anti-communist crusade, and we all hated communism and it seemed okay. Well, now that's led directly to the gay disco. And the main people standing at the door of the Catholic version of the gay disco, they're all Jesuits. The Jesuits run the Catholic gay disco. <laughs> uh, great question from uh, Robert. And it's it's uh, it's great to be, as Giuseppe said, sort of the warm-up act for him on Sunday nights on RBN. Giuseppe, maybe you could do a follow-up question that's an actual Giuseppe question. Uh, from Giuseppe sure. himself. Go ahead. Yes, absolutely. I noticed uh, a couple days ago, Dr. Jones, that you wrote an article that uh, uh, Bradley Cooper is playing Leonard Boinstein in a biopic, and they have <laughs> uh, they have that nice uh, 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 Hebrew honker a prosthetic on him, and the Jews are getting all worked up that he looks like Leonard Bernstein. 
and and so suddenly is it anti-semitic to depict a jew as a jew i mean this is insane <laughs> yeah i can't figure this out I, I'm, I'm i'm struggling here but i basically tweeted i i said is it is it anti-semitic to say that leonard bernstein had a big jewish nose <laughs> Well, wait a minute. That's Hollywood is doing this. You could put Bradley Cooper as a handsome guy. You know, I've seen him in other movies, you know, right. uh, a star is born. He's a handsome guy, but he doesn't look like Leonard Bernstein and he's not going to look like Leonard Bernstein. It's okay to stick this fake Jew nose on him. Uh, but is that, I mean, I don't, I don't get it. Am I an anti-Semite because I said Leonard Bernstein was a Jew and he had a big nose? Well, Hollywood's saying the same thing. Why am I an anti-Semite for saying that? All right. Well, it's only uh, it's only anti-Semitic if, if a non-Jew says it. Uh, That's right. And uh, maybe they should make Lin Leonard Bernstein black in the picture. I think that would actually be very <laughs> yeah, tranny. Uh, That's tranny. But why why do we have to have Jews to portray uh, Jews on the screen? Why is that a norm? I don't. I don't yeah, get it. That's that's uh, it's not fair. It's not uh, it's, it's not it, equitable, and we need to do Sarah, something. About it, Sarah really. Silverman complained about. It. She they call I, I call it Jew face. That's the kind yeah, of right. meme that goes around here. <laughs> I get whenever whenever a Jew doesn't get the role and some goy gets it, there's immediately an uproar, and he's accused of doing Jew face. I guess it goes to blackface. You know, like Al Jolson. Oh, wait a minute. Al Jolson was a Jew, too. I forgot right, about that. Right. He was the main main guy doing blackface. And what's wrong with blackface, ultimately? I mean, every Irish, every Irish musician in the 19th century had to put on blackface to be respectable because you weren't respectable as an Irishman. I watched this, grew up with this in Philadelphia, the Mummers Parade. Mummers yeah. Parade, everybody put on blackface. It was part of the whole minstrel minstrel thing. It's well, just I think it's it's also part of the strategy to keep every sort of you know keep all the racial groups on a chessboard and, and play them off against each right. other in a in a grand game as needed. Uh, right. And um, the, the Jews are the masters at that. That's um, right. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we we talked about the the Pope being a Jesuit. May, could you just sort of go into the the role of the black Pope of the of the Jesuits and what how that came to be and what how does that fit into the power structure of the Catholic Church? The Jesuits were one of the most heroic religious orders in the history of the Catholic Church. I mean, they they arose. It was a, a, a soldier in Spain who got wounded. And he had a spiritual awakening. And at this moment in time, the big issue is the Reformation. And we don't need debating societies anymore. We're at war. He's a soldier. And so he creates a basically military operation called the Jesuits. And they go and they just get involved. They were crucial in the gaining back of uh, uh, land in Europe from the Reformation. Uh, then they started, became missionaries. They went to places like Quebec, the Jesuit relations, uh, which is basically the memoirs that the Jesuit French Jesuits had to write uh, back from Quebec dealing with the Indians, became a bestseller in France, uh, so much so that uh, Voltaire had to write a parody of it, which is basically uh, uh, Candide uh, uh, in the service of the Freemasons who were going to overthrow the government eventually. They were heroic. I mean, can you imagine? Do read, uh, do, uh, if you want movies, watch Black Robe. If you want a, uh, a movie about the Jesuits in Paraguay, where they did exactly the same thing, watch The Mission. These are yeah. incredible, incredible. This is a man from Europe who walks into the jungle of Paraguay and learns Guarani. 
<laughs> and not only that, he ends up writing the Guarani dictionary and the Guarani grammar, which is the only reason that Guarani is one of, has existed to this day and is one of the official languages of Paraguay. Now, he had never been there before. Can you imagine? I mean, I, I went to Germany. I mean, Germany's nothing. It's a dialect. They're both like English. And I, I the struggles I went to to learn German so that I could be an effective teacher there. And you can imagine these people <laughs> going off into the, the moose hunt and the Gaspé Peninsula, learning yeah. Abnaki. These were heroic people. And I'm saying the problem began in America. It began in America. The Jesuits were suppressed in, Fran in, in by the church. And it was a catastrophe for France. It led directly to the French Revolution. And now they came back and they were on the verge. And the thing that corrupted the Jesuits was America. It was the anti-communist crusade. It was John Courtney Murray. That's where the where it went bad. You could take maybe one step back and say it was Teilhard de Chardin a little bit earlier than that, the philosophical corruption. But the main thing that sent the Jesuits off the rails was America in the 1950s. Yeah. Oh, very interesting. Uh, well, uh, Dr. Jones, uh, thank you for coming on the show again. It's just been a wonderful conversation, and yes. uh, we hope we'll come back on soon. And um, in the last couple of minutes, could you give uh, the listeners uh, and viewers um, your your website, where, where your books can be found, and the, what you're working on currently? Yes. Don't go to any of the currents. Don't go to Google. Go to culturewars.com. And you will find the magazine, how to subscribe to the magazine, and how to buy the books. You won't know, you don't know the full story. I gave you like a, the elevator speech here today. But if you want to know the real story, you need to read Libido Dominandi, Sexual Liberation and Political Control, or The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit. Or uh, 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 they're all there, they're all listed. The current project is I'm doing a book on beauty, the dangers of beauty. It's at the printer. We should have copies soon. And that will be uh, the next thing that I'd like to talk about. Excellent. Well, we, we hope you'll come back on the show again soon. It's just been, as always, a great conversation. And Giuseppe, why don't you close us out? We have like another minute or so. Go ahead, sir. Well, uh, Dr. Jones, I understand you recently updated the Jewish revolutionary spirit and to three volumes. Is that not correct? Yes, it is. New material, significant new material, a whole new chapter on the Aryan crisis, which is crucial uh, uh, in the development of this, uh, this conflict. Also, a whole new chapter on... Uh, the Armenian genocide, which is not what you think, okay? It's not just Armenians uh, versus uh, Turks. The Jews were playing a crucial role in that, and it was the same Jews that gave us the Bolshevik uh, revolution. Uh, so that that was a, a, a significant addition. Plus, there's all sorts of articles like Jewish privilege that have been published uh, since the first edition came out. Thank you so much, Dr. Jones. An honor to have you on the show, and we, we would like you to have you back soon. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Well, that was great, guys. Uh, that hour just flew by with uh, Dr. E. Michael Jones. Everyone stay tuned for the third and final hour. Uh, we just might open the phones up here and uh, see where that takes us. So everyone stay tuned.